Hey everybody, welcome to ADD Masterminds. I'm Bridge Livoit and today I'm here with Jeff Dornick. Hey there, glad to be back. This is what, my second time on, the, on this one, right? Uh, second or third, something like that? I think it's only, yeah, I think it's second time. Yeah, yeah. I have so many co-hosts. Because you're <laughs> technically a co-host. We don't really do guests. It's more okay. like co-hosts, so. Nice. I, I, I'm going to add that to my resume. Co-host of ADD yeah. Masterminds. That's exactly. Crazy. Yeah. So, so how's COVID life, Jeff? Uh, head, heading back into shelter in place after, uh, after we, we were open for, I think, a solid mm. three weeks, maybe. And then uh, now we're heading back to restaurants are shut down, bars are closed down. Uh, pretty much it's back to uh, hiding in our homes. And uh, oh, oh, and the, beach, the beaches are shut down. So yeah, I mean, everything's That's crazy, like California without beaches, hey? Like that's that's 90% of what you folks do, right? Like Exactly, and the hard part too (laughs) is it's like, it's it's like, it's right there. It's like driving distance for everybody in California. Mm. And then it's like, it's like that temptation of, do we go there anyway? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how how are you adjusting to go back into shelter in place? Like, I think you you did that for quite a while and, you're not, are you currently working or are you still just doing kind of podcasting? Uh, we're, we're working from home, doing, uh, doing uh, the, all the podcasting, launching a yeah. new network, organization, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So yeah. So I mean, l- luckily I've been working from home this entire time. So that's, uh, it's not like, it's not like we went to work and then all of a sudden uh, it was like, uh, yeah, we're going to close down after a couple of weeks. Yeah. And like for me, I've worked from home quite a bit. Um, we're continuing to kind of, move into the reopening like it's um i think we're phase two right now and so churches are open but no singing allowed only humming and i mean there's all these things about like distancing and all this stuff and i'm just like you know it just seems like such a bother and it's still going to be weird so i'm good with like just doing the streaming service right now um i do have to travel for work sometimes and so um i've got some work tricks trips that i'm doing and stuff like that and so we got to wear masks while we're out there in these oil field sites and stuff. And it's like, I, I mean, my job is to make sure everybody's doing those things. So it's like, it's funny when people want to argue with me about it. I'm like, well, it's kind of part of my job to enforce that anyways. So like, right. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, that, that's mm-hmm. one of the funny things too, that I find about, about a lot of people that are, you know, anti-mask, you know, and, mm-hmm. and again, there's always the conversations about whether the masks are, are beneficial, can cause more harm or whatever it is. I feel like there's, yeah. there's a logical co- conversation to have about that. Yeah. But I think, but I think there's a lot of people that they're like, you know, I'm not going to wear masks if somebody's telling me to do it. It's like, for me, <laughs> I'm looking at it like, okay, so if you're going into somebody else's home, you're going into yes. somebody else's business. Yes. That's one of those things where, okay, we respect the business. If you, if you want to protest because the, the authorities are telling you, you know, wear a mask and you want to be rebellious, do yeah. that in public, but then respect the private business owner. Yeah. And you know, authority is such an interesting thing, right? Because it's just like, I get it. Like when, um, you know, authorities make laws that cause us to break with, you know, what God's telling us to do, then clearly, I mean, that's, yeah, okay, I'm going to go against authority. Um, But, you know, when it's something that is just more personal preference, it's like, well, how do I be a good Christian in this scenario? Right? And so, anyways, Um, so Aunt Jemima, like they've decided they're canceling Aunt Jemima. And I know a lot of people have different opinions about that. But um, I've seen so many articles circulating about Nancy Green. 
and saying like, Nancy Green's family is very upset. They're erasing Aunt Jemima. And I'm like, solution, rename it Nancy Green Syrup. She keeps her place in history. And now we don't have whatever stereotypes were associated with Aunt Jemima. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, at the, at the same time, I mean, that was kind of like her, that was her um, character for, la- for, for lack of a better yeah. word that, that yeah. she played. And, yeah. you know, she, she was the face of that for, you know, for the longest time. Uh-huh. And, you know, at a certain point, like I get, I get the family being like, Hey, come on. Like this is, our, this is our heritage. This is, this is our background oh, and, and you're taken away from us. Yeah, I know. I know. And I, I could see, but I'm like, I think that would be a better compromise than just like either not having the syrup anymore. I don't know what the plan is. I haven't even heard what the plan is, but I'm like, I, I think that's a better solution anyways. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think it's, it's hard too, because then you start getting into, you know, Disneyland and Disney world or getting rid of splash mountain uh, because, because that's based on, off of a uh, song of the South. And um, uh, you, I don't know if they're even getting like, if they're getting rid of it, they're rebranding it under um, princess and the frog. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, but, but they're taking, they're taking down the old theme yeah, and then yeah, replacing yeah. it with, with, with the new one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then, so then you start getting into, you know, essentially you are, I, I, it's one of those things with that. I, I understand cause they always like re up or update the, the rides and like all right. that kind of stuff. But at the same time you start getting into, to a certain degree, rewriting history. Are you just uh, caving into the mobs? Like, mm. is it all PR? It's, it's, it starts getting crazy. Well, everything is PR. <laughs> literally, literally everything it literally is PR. literally is. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's funny cause you're just like, are you doing this because you really care? And it's like, well, I'm doing this cause I need the money. Or I, I, I want to make the money, right? And it's kind of funny because I have, um, oh, I know people who are like very environmentally conscious, you know, and you have like a business owner that's like, okay, well, I'm going to put a timer on the lights whenever you go into a room and, you know, only runs for like 15 minutes or whatever. And then the light goes off, right? And it's like, so I kind of look at that. And I'm like, okay, are you doing this because you care about the environment? Or are you doing this because you are, what, what's the word? I don't want to say cheap. But <laughs> I was I was gonna say cheap. Smart with your money, right? And yeah. it's like, and it, it's funny. I I think part of it, like when we talk about environmentalism too, I think kind of the funny thing is, is like when my my parents, you know, when I was a kid, they would be like, "Well, I think we should use reusable diapers. Why? Because it's cheaper." And nowadays, you got like young parents that are like, "Well, we're gonna use reusable diapers because it's better for the environment." And it's funny how these things that are seen as like virtues um, used to be more so just, I want to save money. And so I, I it's kind of interesting to see how like what, you know, a lot of the world sees as virtues are actually just ways too of getting more money. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that's one of the things too, about uh, a lot of, a lot of people that, you know, like I interact, that I interact with it are, you know, obviously like against, uh, like they, they disagree with the premise of of global warming being man made yeah. and, and all this yeah. kind of stuff, and you know, and so I feel like oftentimes what happens is with those kinds of crowds, they go so anti organic. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They go and they, they're all for all the reusable stuff. It's like they're they're taking aside. They're just going to go hardcore for that. And for me, I'm looking at it like I'd kind of like to be healthier. Yes. So I'm going to get the plastics out of my life. I'm going to eat organic. Mm-hmm. I'm going mm-hmm. to take these certain precautions my motivation isn't necessarily to save the earth from ultimate, uh, you know, destruction of fire because of global warming. I'm looking at it like, 
I'd like to be healthier and not have to deal with the health ramifications of it, you know? So there's different motiva- yeah. motivations, I guess. Well, I, I think that's part of it too, is like, it's like, um, and that, I, I think that's my issue a lot of times with when people get to their I, ideological corners, which is basically one of the themes of my new album, which is being released July 14th. I'm announcing it here. I think nice. Oh, I might've announced it on the Wax Museum too, but this will be the first time I've announced it here. Um, and it's titled Uncaged. And the whole premise is being uncaged ideologically, spiritually, and um, artistically. And basically, it's just kind of like this idea that we're all in cages. We're in ideological cages where it's like anything outside of this doesn't really exist or doesn't really count. Um, spiritually, it's the same thing. You can kind of get into your like theological cage. And then when someone says, you know, God told me this and you're like, well, nope, that doesn't fit with my theology. And it's like, well, maybe we need to evaluate things a little bit outside of your cage. And same thing artistically. I think it's really obvious artistically because like somebody comes out with something like Kevin Max has a new album. I don't know if you've heard it, but it is like awesome. I haven't, I haven't, I've only listened to the first couple tracks, but I'm like, it's all like just trippy you yeah. know, weird well, that, that's, the, that's the really cool thing about, Ke- about Kevin Max is that yeah. he's, he's one of those guys that he's like, I'm going to be creative. I don't mm-hmm. want to sound like anybody else. And he also has that voice that doesn't sound like anybody else. Oh my gosh, and yes. it's, it's his, his vibrato that he, that he pulls off and his songs are just, it's just like insane. You're like, okay, that's yeah. a Kevin Max song. Yes. And so, um, you know, so I look at someone like him and I'm like, I think there's people on the mainstream that are like, yeah, no, this is too weird. You know, it's not music. It doesn't fit in my cage, right? And so that's kind of the premise. And so when I think about like people who are like, well, I can't, I'm not going to eat organic because that's what, that's what someone who like believes the world's going to end is going to do, right? And it's like for that reason, they're going to stay in their cage and not even consider. And for you, it's like you're kind of breaking outside of a cage that maybe your friends are in by saying, well, I'm buying organic for a different purpose. Yeah, I, and I and I think too, it's 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 one of those things where it's like, not not everybody's gonna agree on every minute detail, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we have to take a look at every single circumstance and everything that every single thing that comes at us, and we are gonna have to reevaluate that on the merits of that specific situation. And so it's exactly. like for me, you know, I have questions about about whether uh, you know global warming is is caused by humans. It's like okay, that that's yeah. a that's a debate that we can have. It's a conversation yeah. we, that we can have. But I don't think anybody can argue that cancer's on the rise, diabetes on the rise, all these yeah. health issues are on the rise. Yeah. But then also, what's else? What else is on the rise? Pesticides, mm-hmm. chemicals, mm-hmm. GMOs, like yeah. all this kind of stuff. And you're like, yeah. maybe there's a correlation. Oh, absolutely. And I think you know, like, if it's possible, and I honestly think whatever this is, whatever we're doing right now, because I, I guarantee we're putting toxins in the air. Like, whatever effect it's having on the climate. I mean, we don't need to debate that. I'm not a climatologist. I don't, you know, whatever. But um, I know because I work in the oil and gas industry that there is stuff we're releasing to the air that's not good for us. Yeah. And, and so it's like, if we could do less of that, it'd be better. Mm-hmm. And, and so I do think that eventually we're going to innovate our, our way out of this. And so it's just a matter of time before we innovate it. So people that are trying to push that timeline and say, we got five years to fix this. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen, but um, I do think that like there is innovation is going to get us out of this. Um, 
It's so I was thinking, okay, so a lot of times Christians like to harp on like sin sometimes, you know, but only specific sins. And um, I was thinking about how like there are sins that we all identify with. Um, I think, well, here's my quote. Actually, I was, I was talking to uh, Theo offline. Um, and uh, this, is, this is what I said to him because I, and it struck me as something that I thought was worth discussing. I said, I think at some level, we all find our identity in our sin. Um, Sanctification is a process of peeling back the layers of false identity and getting closer to our true God-given identity. Um, And it's just funny how like there's specific sins that are addressed so publicly and so politically. And we're like, well, those people identify with their sin and, and, you know, and it's like, yeah, no, we all do. Like it's a human condition. We all identify with our sin at some level. It's kind of like, well, I'm a, I'm an opinionated person and you're just a jerk to everybody. And it's like, but it's who I am. That's the, I'm the guy that speaks his mind. And it's like, no, that's, that's sin. Like you're not using gentleness. I don't see the fruits of the spirit, but it's like, but the fruits of the spirit aren't part of my personality. Right. And um, it just got me thinking, you know, like a true, you know, the true fruit of a believer is being willing to work on those things and, and to allow, you know, the Holy spirit to overtake you and there should be a shift, right? Yeah. Well, and, and also too, it's, it's, that's the whole point of, of when you start getting into doctrine and theology mm. of you begin to separate out justification from sanctification. I think that everybody fo- mm. focuses so much on the justification. They're like, yeah, I became a Christian. I'm saved. That's it. And it's like, yeah. well, there's this whole rest of your life. That's the, the sanctification part, which is where the Holy Spirit is making you more Christ-like, literally yeah. for the rest of your life. If you're not going through that, maybe we got to go back. We got to deal with this whole justification thing and kind of start over a little bit. And that, that's, that's kind of one of those, that's kind of one of those things. And, and I think to a certain degree, everybody, oftentimes they get, they get comfortable with where they are and they don't actually want to put in the hard work of growing and bettering themselves and getting out yeah. of their comfort zone. And then it's just, yeah. it's easier to try to make excuses than it is to say, you know what, I need to knock this off and I need, I need to get better. Cause it's like, nobody wants to admit that they're wrong. I think that's one yeah. of the hardest things for people to do today is admit that they're wrong. That's nuts though. Like, you know, like, it's like, if you can't admit you're wrong, how do you grow as a human being? Like life is a series of steps in changing as a human being. And it's like, and it's, it's weird to me that people just get stuck at a certain point and decide, yeah, okay, I'm done. I'm done growing. And I'm like, you're not, you're not alive anymore. Like, it's like, that's, that's a cage you need to bust. And I'm like, it, it, it blows my mind that people live like that. And I think it's the same thing again. Like, you know, even those people who like, you know, when we get back to the whole artistic thing, it's kind of like, well, I don't see that as art. And it's like, man, you're missing out on so much stuff. And it can be the same thing spiritually. It can be the same thing ideologically. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, my artist brain is just kind of overtaking everything where I'm just like, man, I could gather a little bit of this, gather a little bit of this, and I'm going to make something new, right? And I, I'm doing that in everything. And, yeah. um, you know, it was funny because we, uh, we did an episode of Wax Museum. I did it with um, Bill Hurd. Because he talked to me about like Richard Rohr, the fact that we did like a two, a two episode series on Richard Rohr's book, The Universal Christ. And Phil's like, you know that, you know, Phil, Richard Rohr is a false teacher. And I'm like, 
yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> because I'm like, to me, it's like, I will gather truth from wherever I see it. And it could be somebody who's dubbed as a false teacher. And like my favorite thing I always say about Richard Rohr is that he says, it's not that the um, mysteries of God are unknowable. It's that they're infinitely knowable. And it's like, that's what we're falling into is just like this infinite mystery. And I feel like within like the more progressive realm of Christianity, they'll see that the more fundamentalist form of Christianity has a tendency to just kind of close the loop on things. And I'm like, I think that's something we can learn from progressives. It's like, no, no, no. I don't know. I don't know everything. I'm still learning. And it's that humility of still learning. And that's far more attractive than you going up to someone who's a non-believer and saying like, hey, I know everything. Listen to me. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, what was interesting too was that uh, I recently read the book. Uh, it's actually called Don't Burn This Book by Dave Rubin. Mm. And um, it, it's a really good book. It touches a little bit on politics, but it's mostly like ideology mm. and, and kind of it, it's this idea of free thinking, think for yourself and that sort of thing. And, and so I wrote a review of that and posted it on my website, Gatekeepers Online. And then, you know, I shared it in a few different places. And it was, it was funny because there was, there, was a bunch of, there was a bunch of people that posted comments, just random people, but they're, they're mm -hmm. like, you know, he's gay, right? And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. And, yeah. But, but, but it's like, but at the same time, it's like what he's saying is true. Yeah. And, you know, you may disagree with homosexuality. You may disagree mm. with that aspect, but that doesn't mean that you can't agree with the guy when it comes to free thinking and having open and honest discussions and constantly reevaluating and not apologizing to the mob and like all that kind of stuff. It's like, we can agree with that. Let's, let's, we can find the point of disagreement. Let's discuss it. Mm. But at the same time, that one point of disagreement doesn't invalidate the truth, the truthfulness yeah. of everything else that he's saying. And it's so hard because that's, that's, you know, that's the thing a lot of people identify with, right? My sexuality. I mean, it's the same thing with gender too. And it's like, to me, it's like, man, like we all identify with all kinds of things. So let's let the Holy Spirit work in us. And I'm like, the amount of rejection those individuals have experienced is, is appalling. Like, it's like, how do you like as the church you know you've decided to reject these people and you're saying it's on a biblical basis and all this stuff and i i understand all the biblical basis and everything but i'm like that rejection's still there and there's a whole missions field of these people who uh, they're not allowed right they're not allowed in and i i saw this post actually it's in a it's a facebook group um i think it's called the heretic happy hour the after hours group <laughs> and uh and they had this picture of this man who was at a gay pride parade and he was offering free hugs from a dad to all these people that were in the pride parade. And I'm like, man, like more than anything, like when I look at that group of individuals, I'm like, that's what they need. They like, they need a dad's hug. And I'm like, that's so powerful. Like regardless of like, you know, whether people believe this is a sin or not, it's like, man, there's no denying there's a lot of hurt people that have been rejected by their family. And I'm like, what a beautiful thing. And I'm like, part of me is like, next Pride Parade, I'm giving free hugs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's the thing, too. And that's one of my biggest, biggest frustrations within Christianity. And again, I, I tend to be a little bit of a rebel and go against the grain a little bit. Gets me in trouble sometimes, but it's always fun. Uh, mm -hmm. But I feel like when, when you're dealing with something like homosexuality, like for, from my perspective, I'm looking at it like, okay, Bible clearly teaches it's a sin. 
Um, and it's, it's something that I think we need to be careful not to become accepting of as if it's not a sin. With that said, that doesn't mean that we view gay people or anybody in the homosexual community uh, as the enemy. They're our mission field. And I think that that's the difference is oftentimes it's really easy for Christians to see people that uh, are behaving in ways that we don't like and we see them as the enemy as opposed mm. to these are the people that we need to reach out to. These are the people that yeah. we need to love. And, um, and I think that that's vitally important. And I, think, and I think it's easier for people, like we were kind of saying before, it's easier for people to be set in their ways, have their own little bubble, be in their own little cage, and then they kick everybody else out as opposed to going out into the world where it's messy, it's crazy, people mm. are sinful. It's like you go out there and you're supposed to love people. What did Jesus do? He hung out with the prostitutes and tax collectors. Not, yeah. the, not the most clean-cut crowd. It's like, yeah. why don't we take the same approach when it comes to the gay community or with, you know, essentially yeah. any anti, anti-Christian community, you know? Exactly. Well, and I think, you know, it's the same thing with the people who oppose you ideologically, you know, like the people of the opposing, you know, point of view politically or, you know, like, and it's like, we've got so many ways of separating us and them when in reality, it's like, we're all God's children. So how do we show the love of the father to individuals? Because when it comes down to it, it's like, this is about love. And when Christians look like they're opposing to love, we've got a problem because it's like, and, and I, I get why Christians are opposing this type of love, but it's like, we've got we've to have a better way of approaching this. Yeah. And I mean, and it's the same thing too, when we see people who are trying to help out the marginalized and Christians are like, hold on, that doesn't fit with our politics. I'm like, okay, well now you're, you appear to be opposing love again. And it's like, and we do a lot of that. And it's like, there's gotta be a better way to be like, no, 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 this is what I believe. I believe that these people are being exploited. And so we wanna step in and show you a better way of handling this issue. And I think that's actually what it all boils down to, honestly. All of our arguments, all of our you know, failures to show the world love has been us saying, no, we think there's a better way, but instead it comes off as, I hate you. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, we ought to do better. Um, okay, so I was thinking about, I wrote down originality on the ADD master list. I'm not even sure where I was going to go with that, but what does originality mean to you? Uh, I, would, I would say, not, for, for me, it comes down to not being afraid to forge your own path. Mm. And figure out, figure out your own way of going about and, and doing things. And uh, do, like, I, I think it's really easy for people to get into a rut and just kind of follow what everybody else does. But when you look at, when you look at the history of uh, business people or the mm. great politicians or the great theologians or whatever that might be, oftentimes what they do is they forge their own path. They come up with a new concept, yeah. a new idea that nobody has ever thought of or very few people had thought of, and then they, they make it their own. You know, like, like, for example, there's somebody like, like you look at somebody like Elon Musk, right? Mm -hmm. That guy's totally original. Like, like yeah. every single thing that he comes up with. I remember listening to his, uh, his podcast the last time he was on Joe Rogan, and he's talking yeah, about like tra transplanting devices into your brain that will, that will <laughs> yeah. fix things through electromagnetic fields. And yeah. I'm just like, how do you come up with that kind of stuff? Oh, it's you know? great. And yeah. I mean, like in the medical field, like to correct problems is good, but then it gets terrifying when they're like, now we're going to enhance and make superhumans. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then it's like, now we can read each other's brains. And I'm like, 
Actually, I'm, um, I bought a book. So I did a series on the Wax Museum on um, Sapiens. Mm -hmm. And uh, Yuval Harari, Yuval something, Usted Harari. Anyways, his, um, he, he wrote that book, Sapiens, but he made a second book that's called Deuce. I think it's Homo Deuce, something like that. It's a weird title, but um, I was like, careful now. Um, but uh, he, um, the idea is to look at, instead of a historical perspective, make predictions for the future, which includes the modifications we're going to make to the human body. And I'm like, that sounds terrifying, but kind of, I'm kind of intrigued to read it. So that's going to be my next big read is to talk about like kind of that human advancement. But I, I do think like to find originality, you do need a wide palette, right? It's like you cannot, if you remain caged, all you're going to do is bring the same things, right? And it's like you got to get outside the cage and start drawing influences from a whole bunch of different areas. And, you know, like I think Christians especially, you know, when we talk about Christianity, we're scared to do that. And you know, it's like, well, it's not biblical to do that. And I, I like, you know, I love that passage where the Apostle Paul, you know, walks into this group, and I can't remember which group of people it was, but he said, like, that unknown God, I found him. Yeah. And it's like, that implies to me that, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul was an uncaged thinker. He actually was studied their culture and understood their religion. And he's able to speak from that standpoint to those people where he could actually speak their language. And I'm like, that's such a beautiful thing. And so I, I, yeah, I think originality does require a wide palette so that you can come out of nowhere with something that is like, what? Well, that, that's where the Bible talks about uh, mm. being all things to all men yes, to be able I to reach that. them. And, and mm. I think right now what we've seen within mainstream evangelicalism is this idea that, uh, that evangelism is inviting your friends to church. And the people mm. that you invite to mm -hmm. church are the people that look like us. And yeah. they, already, they already act Christian, even if they're not really Christian, right? So they're, they're clean cut. They dress modestly. They, you know, they, they don't have too many tattoos or piercings or something yeah. along those lines. But then when you, when you actually look at, okay, how did Jesus act? How did, how did the apostles act? How did Paul act? They went to, like, for lack of a better term, enemy territory. Like mm -hmm. Jesus went and hung out with the people that, uh, that, the, that the religious elite saw as the utmost sinners, the worst of yeah, the worst. That's who absolutely. he went and hung out with. Where is that today in Christianity? I mean, you don't see that. You don't see, uh, you know, Christian pastors or Christian leaders or anybody like that going into the gay district of San Francisco. You don't yeah. see them going into West Hollywood. You don't see them even going into the inner cities. You mm -hmm. see them staying comfortable in their big mega churches. And it's yeah. like, maybe we, get, maybe we need to get out of our comfort zone a little bit. Stop just talking to other theologians and let's go where the people are. Like that's, that's what that's, Jesus did. And I mean, that's, I think that's where, again, we're seeing that different incentive, right? Because it's, and I, I've been thinking a lot about platform and how when you get a platform, it's very easy for you to flip into becoming a narcissist. And you know, it's like, what person who's gotten political power, you know, what person in that position has not become a narcissist? And I'd say the same thing with pastors. I think it's very easy for a pastor, and it can be a very small church even, where you become a narcissist. And it's like, you give anybody a little bit of power, 
And it's so quick that everything can become about them. And so once you get a platform, once you get a full-time job in ministry even, your incentive is to keep your job. Your incentive is to pay your mortgage. And it's like, and so as we get bigger, it gets even more difficult. And when you get to the level of mega church, it's like, and I mean, you see the same thing in politics too, right? Like where it's like, well, I'm the, I'm the school trustee, you know? And then it's like, you move up to being the mayor, you move up to being, you know, provincial or state representative. And it's like, as you get up the scale, it's like the cost of being, you know, true to your calling or true to your, whatever it is, you know, becomes higher. And it's crazy to me that like, we're seeing the very same things, you know, we see it in business too. It's like you get, and like we said with Splash Mountain, it's like, well, it's, there's incentive, just a financial incentive. So it's hard to even tell what the morality, you know, is that's backing that decision. And we're seeing that in churches. And it's like, well, we want, we want everybody to be comfortable. I remember talking to a pastor about that. And it's like, I want, we're going to redesign, you know, the platform. We're going to redesign all of this because we want it to be pleasant for an artistic person to come into this sanctuary. We want them to be comfortable. And it's like, okay, yeah. I mean, like, that's cool. But at what point are we putting so much resources into that that we kind of lose our souls, right? Like, what, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? And I think it's possible to do both and. But I don't know. Like, the more and more I see this glitz, you know, when I see this beautiful, well-oiled machine that is the church, the more skeptical I become of it. And I believe we have younger generations that are becoming more and more skeptical of that. And they just want the basics. Like they just want Jesus. Yeah. Well, and see, and see, like, that's my thing. And this, again, this is, this is one of the things that I say and it gets me in trouble, but I'm just like, at a certain point, just tear it all down and let's, let's start over because it's gotten way, way out of hand. So mm. the, the thing you really have to understand too about, about churches is that, when you start getting into it, into individual people, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's got a different personality type. Some people are more analytical. Those people that are oftentimes analytical, they don't care as much about all the fancy stuff or art, yeah. artistry or whatever it is. And then you have the artists and oftentimes they don't care about the, the analytical side of things. And then there's combinations of the two and all that kind of stuff. I, yeah. I think oftentimes what you see is you see that there will be a pastor of a church and they, they make the church about that pastor so then whatever personality type that pastor is that's who he that's who he attracts right Mm -hmm. and so that's why i think oftentimes you see the the creatives and um and and the people that are are more emotional or coming up with uh really cool ideas they're going for the uh the experience more on let's say the charismatic side or more in the mainstream and then you'll see the people that are more analytical will go more towards the theological bible study expositional preaching and all that kind of stuff and I think what oftentimes happens is then both sides will point at the other side and say, you're wrong and you're wrong. It's like, well, maybe you're both wrong because you guys are each missing out on what on the little bit that the other side has that they're yeah. doing right. If we could get a mix where we're, where we're focused less on the personality and more just on the Christian walk, fellowship, worship, Bible teaching, that covers all the bases, not just one. I think we could do a lot better and stop focusing so much on like, stop focusing so much on the frivolous things i think Mm. that reminds me of like that uh church you have where it's like worship thanksgiving 
and fellowship, which spells WTF. <laughs> I won't explain that one, kids. Um, hey, so wait, are you saying that you're going to start a church called WTF? Oh, that's a great idea. I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's good marketing right there because it's oh, all yeah. about marketing, right? I, I picked up. Exactly. I don't know. You know, it's funny though because, like, you know, for you and I, we can look at the church and say, well, it shouldn't be about personality. It shouldn't be, you know, but you and I are both building brands too, <laughs> you know, at the same time, yeah. you know, our brands. And it's like, this is the way I want things to be, you know, like it's like I've got the Bridges of Watt album and then the two podcasts where it's just like, I'm just building bridges, but that's what I do. And it's like, at what point, you know, do you start buying into, like, I guess, distracted by your own reflection? Like, that's so, so important because we, we watch people do that all the time and, and we critique that all the time where people are getting distracted by their own reflection. How do you, how do you keep from being distracted by your own reflection, Jeff? I, th I think a lot of it is being very intentional and it's not, it's not about like, for example, like my website, uh, gatekeepers online, right? Mm -hmm. That, that I, I intentionally did not set that up as a ministry or organization of Jeff Dornick, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think mm -hmm. a lot of people, they make their organization, you know, about their specific teaching. For right. me, I was looking at it like, okay, how can we collaborate with people? You know, how can we make it less about me? For me, I would love it if, we, if I could get to the point to where I'm not essential at all. Mm -hmm. Like I mm -hmm. can just show up and maybe I can, I can give a little direction. I'm kind of keeping the technical side of things going. Uh, but you know, everybody's doing their own podcast. They're doing their own yeah, writing. And I'm like, kind of disappear. It's, yeah. It's, it's not yeah. about me. Like, I feel like yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah. this weird thing. It's almost like you've arrived when you're no longer needed. It's like, yes. that, that's kind of that's my beautiful. mentality with all of this. Beautiful. And so, so for me, it's like when I'm looking at, like, like we've gotten into publishing, right? And we actually just announced that we're, we're publishing a new book called Church and State. We're putting that out uh, pre-orders today. All right. But for me, I'm looking at this stuff and I'm like, okay, how, how can we collaborate? How can I bring in these other people that are experts uh, and bring them in? So like, I'm, like with this book, we've got like 13 different authors and each mm -hmm. one is taking a single chapter. And right. that way it's, it's even though I'm the one organizing it, it's not about me. I'm just no. one of the 13 guys there that's writing a chapter. And it's mm -hmm. like, this to me is the way we should be doing things as opposed to every single book is by me, for me, about me. And it's all about my profit. And I'm like, no, let's, let's, let's collaborate a little bit. You know, that, yeah. that's just my mentality, I think. Well, and that, and that for me was why the shift in the name, right? It's like John Howie and Bridge of Water, two different people. Bridge mm -hmm. of Water is that person online. And like every Sunday, Bridge of Watt ceases to exist. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, and it's so nice. Like, it's just like, oh, I'm just John Howie now, right? And I mean, at work, I'm just John Howie. Um, but it's like, and I mean, like, it's, I guess, yeah, in a way, it's kind of like an act. It's like, even for me, I will, um, you know, because, you know, I write music, I, I play yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, so if I ever go down that route, I'm like, I don't want to put on an album with Jeff Dornick on it. It's like, yeah. I, want to come up with, I want to come up with like a band name that way, yeah. that way. Cause I feel like when you have like, let's say a band name that becomes the unifying factor. I don't mm -hmm. want myself mm -hmm. to be the, the unifying factor. I want the unifying factor to be the music and the message and, and, and the um, organic feeling that you have of community and all that kind of stuff. It's not about me. It's about what the music is actually producing and the results of that. And I feel like, you know, when, when you start going down the route of, you know, Jeff Dornick music, it's like, 
eh, I mean, who wants to unify around, around this crazy Norwegian? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the Bridge of Watt music is, is definitely a collaboration. Um, so like basically Zandi, my son, 16 year old son, he uh, created all the tracks except for one. One was actually mine. But um, and then I created, you know, I wrote the lyrics, I wrote the melodies, did all the vocals and and that's what we created. Right. And it's, it, and it makes for a very interesting project because I'm just like, this is amazing. And it's like more so because it was a collaboration. And I don't feel like it's self-promotion mm-hmm. for me to say it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice feeling that way. Yeah. So, so, so when are we coming out with, with the uh, Bridge Meets Jeff uh, collaboration song? Ha! Ah, that would be <laughs> awesome. We'll have to do that. Yeah. We, 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 we can work something out. Yeah, send me some music so yeah. we can work with. Um, all right. Hey, so it's funny you said analytical because that was actually on my list too. Um, the analytical brain. And I was thinking about, I like to think about how everything you know, can be a super power, but it can also be a disability. And actually, I had somebody say to me, like, you know, like at work, they're like, wow, you're very analytical. And I'm like, yeah, to a fault. Because you could just spend so much time analyzing things. You probably have the same issue sometimes, right? Yeah, I, I, I tend to be pretty anal- analytical and, um, and mathematical and all that kind of stuff. Mm. It, it's one of those things where I wish I wasn't so much. And, and it's yeah. definitely something that I've, I've like worked on of getting out of that mindset. Because I feel like to a certain degree, if you're, too, if you're too analytical, oftentimes you get your, like you were saying before, you get yourself into a box and then you can't get out you, and you yeah. really limit yourself. And, and yeah. one of my biggest things that I've really worked on over the years is uh, stop self-limiting myself. Mm. Cause I think I used to for the longest time yeah. and where it made, it made, it made life extremely difficult. Whereas now I'm just kind of like, Oh yeah, we'll do a book. Sure. Let's go for it. We want to do, you know, yeah. like public speaking. Sure. Let's go do it. You know, like, like yeah. that, that's just kind of become my mentality, but it's mm. been an intentional focus on getting rid of that, uh, that ceiling that I think was, was kind of limiting, which is really easy for somebody who's anal- analytical to do. Interesting. Well, and I, what I always find too is like, I, I'm still stuck on this notion because I hear so many people saying like, well, this group of people think with their emotions and this group of people, they're analytical. And I'm like, and I, I love this um, from this book I read. Um, I'm trying to remember what book it was. It might've been one of Mike Manson's books, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Something. It may have been from his book. But um, anyways, there's not really much of show notes for this, so we'll just never know. Um, (laughs) But um, in this book, this guy was talking about um, this individual who had like the front part of his brain removed, which is basically the emotional sensor of your brain. And so it's like, wow, that's cool, because I think all of us have thought about it. What would it be like if I was just completely rational with no emotions? And this guy returned to his job and um, the first day back on the job, he was supposed to meet with some clients, but instead he spent all day looking for a new stapler. And it was like, well, let's do his cognitive testing. They do his cognitive testing and they're like, no, everything's good. Everything's good. He's fine. It's like, huh, 
And it took them a while to realize because he ended up like divorced. He ended up not being able to do his job anymore and all this stuff. And what they realized is you need the emotional part of your brain in order to prioritize. And so it's like, wow. So basically we're using the emotional part of our brain to prioritize. Therefore, we can never turn this off. We can never turn off the emotional part of our brain. And so I think when we argue with people, we got to consider that we've got emotions too. And it's ridiculous first to point to someone else and say, no, you're being emotional. It's like, we're all being emotional. I mean, yeah. why are you getting so angry that that person's all whiny about stuff? You're angry. That's an emotion, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and I think with, um, uh, when, it, when it comes to a lot of issues, a lot of times I think the, the, the people that, that are more analytical and or mm -hmm. even, even conservative in, in ideology oftentimes, um, it's like they want to reject any kind of emotional argument. And I'm, and I'm over here and I'm like, okay, so we've got the analytical side, we've got the facts, we've got the numbers and all that kind of stuff. But then how do you convey it to where people actually understand and people are motivated to actually do something? It's through the, to it's, the heart, man. Yeah, it's through the emotion. I mean, mm. I, I think there's, there's a danger in going too analytical and there's a danger in going too emotional, but there's somewhere in the middle where you've got a little bit, you've got a little bit of both. That's, that's really where the sweet spot is and actually changing minds uh, and that sort of thing. And I think that that's what's really missing. I mean, look at our, look at like, I was going to say our country, but I'm in a totally different country than you. Yeah. Uh, but, but like here in America, we're extremely polarized, whether it's yes. politics, theology, yeah. uh, culturally, whatever it might be. And, and I think it's like, okay, so let's take the extremes away. There's something in the middle where we can debate, we can discuss, we all we can want find the same agreement. Things, man. Like we all want the same things. We just disagree on how going about it. And but, but, but even then, the problem is, is that the majority of people agree on the majority of things. The problem is, is that we only focus on what we only focus on what we disagree on, right? Absolutely. So it's like, so it's like when it comes to abortion, it's one of those things that, that I always go to. It's it's an easy thing to point out. Ninety percent of of people in America believe that you know, last trimester abortion, wrong. Almost yeah. 100% of people believe that post-birth abortion, if you can even call it abortion, is wrong. It's like, yeah. okay, so why don't, we, why don't we just ban that first? Let's take that first, the thing that we all agree on, let's do it. But, but the problem is, is that can't we can't- give you an inch, man. Exactly, but we, can't, <laughs> we can't do that because we disagree on conception. It's like, okay, exactly. so let, let's start with a third exactly. trimester and then let's debate the second. It, oh, it, like that not. would be the logical way of doing things. Yeah. Well, and I, I think part of it too, and I added with this issue, I always like, okay, so how are we ending up with unwanted pregnancies to begin with? I'd rather go there than wait until you've got like a botched abortion and the kids all mangled, like to get graphic. I mean, that's what we're looking at. It's like, well, should we put that baby out of its misery? And I'm like, this is so messed up. Like, can we just back up and say, how did we get to this point? And I mean, it's the same thing too, when we talk about like, you end up with like a political situation where you've got the worst candidates ever. I'm just hypothetical in some fantasy land where this happens. And it's like, instead of us like saying, well, do you want cyanide or do you want, I don't know, whatever poison, another poison, right? It's like, well, can we just back up? Like, how did we get to this point to begin with? And it's like, we, as human beings, we kind of get in the situation. It's kind of like you have a kid that's like completely out of control. And he's like, you know, he's got a chainsaw and he's like sawing into the wall. And you're like, you know, and you're just like, well, um, what do we do now? 
And it's like, if there's any ability to back up and say, how did we get to this insanity? You know, like, can we figure out how to like change or mitigate issues um, <laughs> earlier, right? And it's yeah. like, but we always have those conversations once we already got the kid with the chainsaw sawing into the wall, right? And yeah. at that point, yeah, we got to figure out how to stop that kid from destroying our house. And that's, I think that's kind of where our nations get to sometimes. It's something, you know, it's, and so, I mean, at that point, yeah, maybe talking about the origin of how we got the chainsaw and the husband and wife arguing over like, well, why, why did you let him have a chainsaw? You know, it's like, well, no, no, no. Let's stop the chainsaw. Let's shut off the chainsaw somehow. And, and so when I think about these kinds of issues, it's bizarre to me that um, we want to just debate that one. And I, I get what you're saying. Like there needs to be some compromise, but I also think that if we go earlier and earlier into the process, we could find a point of agreement. Yeah, you know, no, I, to I, to I totally agree. And I think and ethic. Um, yeah. It's like, we can all agree that like, uh, we rape is evil. So let's, let's do what we can to stop rape. Um, I think that the way that our culture is set up so that men believe they're entitled to certain things and, you know, women are treated like objects. And I'm like, this is happening all over. I mean, down to that mega church pastor that's saying, isn't my wife hot? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like, and we got like youth groups, you know, where we've got like boys hitting on girls and people are like just saying, well, boys will be boys. Hey, yeah. And it's just like, no, no, no. Like, what if we, what if we learn to treat human beings like human beings? And I think that's, you know, it comes back to love and, you know, recognizing the image of God in every person, whether male or female, whether gay or straight, whether, you know, like there's a whole, you know, bunch of labels we give people and it's hindering our ability to love each other. And, and so again, the church will have a tendency to attack at a certain point in the issue. And I think we can back up and find the way to address an issue in a loving way and to speak to the heart because we're all emotional beings. And I, I, you know, when we talk about emotional beings, there's another analogy that I super love. Um, and it's like the elephant and rider. Um, and it's like this idea that our, instead of emotions, actually, we can say intu intuition. Um, our intuition is like an elephant and our rationalization is like the rider on that elephant. And so what happens is the elephant turns a certain way and our rationalization is like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing this because, and that's a tendency for all of us. And if we deny the fact that that's what's going on, it's, we're lying to ourselves because it's kind of like, I don't know if you have a loved one that's like maybe making a clicking noise on a pen or something and it's driving you crazy. And you're like, stop doing that. And it's like, why? It's like, I don't know. I'm going to come up with a reason now. And immediately you have to come up with a reason to rationalize why you were so angry because you don't get angry for irrational reasons, right? Yeah. And so I, I think we, we see that pattern. If we can recognize that pattern and understand, it's like, it's the intuition that needs to change. It's the intu intuition that needs to change on all of these issues. And so it's like, how do we change intu intuition? And I think there's a power in story.
And that's why, you know, the gospel message lived out in our lives and us being able to um, be witnesses to the work of God in our lives is way more powerful than a thousand arguments on science. And Yeah. Well, I, I think also too, part of the problem oftentimes is that uh, we always want the immediate gratification. And so oftentimes that means that we're treating the symptom as opposed to the root problem. I mean, even, yeah. even look at medicine, right? Like you, like if you, uh, let's say you have a fever, right? Yeah. You, you go, you go to the drugstore and, and you get some medicine to lower the temperature. It's like, yeah. but, but what's causing the temperature? What, what do we yeah. try to figure that out? Yes. You know, and then that will then have the effect of lowering the temperature, lowering the temperature is not the goal. Just like, for example, when we're dealing with, uh, like COVID-19 and coronavirus, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, like everybody was, was always talking about flatten the curve, flatten the curve. The mm-hmm. end goal should never have been to flatten the curve. It should, it should have been to destroy coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So then what we ended up doing, I think with a lot of these shelter in place, uh, situations was we artificially lowered the curve. Right. And then now that we open back up now, all of a sudden, Hey, that curve's rising again. It's like, because we didn't actually be, we didn't actually get down to the root problem and actually defeat this thing. We just, we treated the symptoms. We're like flat, flat, flatten the curve, you know, get over the hump. It's like, but you artificially did it. And I think that that's oftentimes yeah. what, what we do in the church too. And within Christianity is it's like, we, we want the immediate felt need to be taken care of right now. It's like, well, maybe the root issue is that you need to get your life right with Christ. Maybe the root issue is you need to repent of, of your mentality or your view on something as opposed to just this one little minute little thing. And I think that that's, that's one thing that I think as Christians we can do a better job of, of get down to the root problem. It's kind of like, like what we were talking about earlier when it comes to you know, food and diet and things like that. It's like, you know, we always talk about the healthcare problem in, in North America, right? Right. It's like, well, maybe if people ate better mm-hmm. and exercised and uh, didn't just sit in front of their TV watching TV all day and eating junk food and processed foods full of crap chemicals. It's like, maybe we'd be healthier. It's like, but no, we got to focus on the medication and the prescriptions and all this kind of stuff that are keeping people alive. It's like, well, eat healthier. Eat, eat a lot of meat, yeah. eat a lot of vegetables, eat real stuff. And then maybe you won't have all these health issues later on down the road. Thus, we don't need the, the huge healthcare system that we have. It's like, well, got to get think, down to the root problem. I think part of the issue too is spiritual. And it's like, you, you're looking at it and it's like the way we view food. It's like, well, I had a rough day. I deserve that chocolate bar, you know? And it's like, that's how we cope. Well, I had a rough day. I need to, I need to watch Netflix tonight. You know, like there's, there's things in our lifestyle that are just coping mechanisms and not really dealing with, you know, the heart issue dealing with the emotional issue. Um, there's a lot of things that we're not willing to face in our own lives. And I think that was kind of what I thought was interesting about sheltering in place too, is like, how do we adjust to this? Because essentially what happened is we all suffered a collective trauma. Now, I mean, like, I know that may sound like it's overstating it, but I think for some people it's definitely not overstating it. And there's a lot of people who had mental health issues as a result. And it's like figuring out like how to adapt to this new world situation. And everybody adjusted to it differently. And we're still adjusting to it differently. I mean, if you see how things are playing out on Twitter and on Facebook, it's like everybody's kind of adjusting differently. And I'm, I'm more of a roll with the punches kind of guy. 
And I'm like, okay, well, I got to figure out how to leverage this now, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, I'm back to consulting with the consulting company. What can I learn about COVID? What are the things that I can do to, you know, leverage this and figure out how we can get more work out of this? Um, and obviously help other people through it, but it's like, but it's, it's part of our work too, right? And I think for you, it was like, well, I can step up my podcast game. We can work on this book. We can, you know, and it's like figuring out, and it's like, it's not, I think, you know, some people want to live in denial and some people want to just face it head on and be like, all right, how are we going to work with this? Because there's some things you just can't work against all the time. And there's people who went into this kicking and screaming and they're still frustrated because it's not changing. And so I, and I think, you know, like the different approaches to, to this, you know, where it was like shelter in place. Okay. Now we're going to let go of the restrictions. And then it's like, Oh, well, our numbers are going up too fast. Okay. Let's go back to shelter in place. And what we saw like in Alberta is that we had shelter in place. And then we started raising restrictions, you know, lifting restrictions. And what happened is they said, we're going to monitor, you know, what our ICU levels are. We're going to monitor um, how many cases we have. And if it increases this much over a week and all this stuff, then we'll start putting restrictions back in. And we've like continued to kind of like raise that level. And I think part of it too depends on um, population density. Um, I think, you know, like I've been to, you know, small town for work a few times. And they've got no restrictions. Like everybody's just like, Psh. you go to like Boston pizza and there's like people wearing masks. That's the only place you see anybody in a mask is the, the waitresses and the serving staff at, at Boston pizza. And I was thinking about this and I'm like, you know, when we talk about like natural you know, natural immunity, I'm like in a, in a small town makes perfect sense. If you're like downtown Hong Kong, man, there's all kinds of stuff in the air. I'm like, I can see why they always wear masks. Right. Yeah. And so I think there's something there too. I also, without getting political, I think there's something unnatural about this virus too. Um, hey, hey, if, if, if you go to, again, it, it's not, it's not political. We'll call we'll call yeah. it science. Uh, if, you, if you go, if you go uh, check out Brett, Brett Weinstein's uh, podcast when he was on J, uh, Joe Rogan. Yes. I heard about that somewhere. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think, I think there is something. And so this kind of argues against natural immunity. So I, I, I don't think I would go around Hong Kong just breathing in the air and letting people slobber on me. I just think it'd be a bad idea. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. And I mean, like that whole thing, like I think that um, I doubt, I know the Chinese government has, you know, a history of mistreating their people. But to me, from a conspiracy standpoint, it would make so much more sense to figure out a way of releasing it systematically than to just like... <laughs> over the population and just be like, Oh no, I lost my own, my favorite doctor. Whoops. That was a bad weapon. So I think they were developing something and it got mm -hmm. away on them. That's my yeah. theory. More, more, more than likely. I know, I know like yeah. that's even what Brett Weinstein was talking about was like, it was probably more than likely just like testing and yeah. seeing, seeing the development. And then when they make certain genetic changes, what happens, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then it just got out and then just out of control. But also yeah. the, too, the interesting thing about it was he's like, because it was developed in a lab inside. He's like, one of the worst things we can do is just is stick everybody inside because that's mm -hmm. a natural environment as opposed yeah. to going outside. Yeah. It's like the sun, the sun will kill the thing because yeah. it's, not, it's not conducive to being outside under the sun. So that's an interesting yeah. take on that too. Yeah, I don't think it lives very long outside either. 
But yeah. I, I do think that like if you're standing outside within six feet of another person breathing on them, it's still going to have cause issues. So, but I, I, I mean, I mean, it, it is a little creepy to breathe on people. So yeah. Yeah. Looking people's faces at Walmart, not, not to get political, but yeah, I'm a libertarian. <laughs> um, <laughs> again, again, not to, not to get political, but, uh, Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> I am not starting a Joe bleep account on uh, Twitter. I've, I've got enough of those bleep accounts. <laughs> <laughs> Um, man, this has been good. I think we could probably wrap this up here. Um, thank you very much, Jeff. And so if people want to know more about the great organization of Jeff keepers, (laughs) (laughs) gatekeepers online, you guys have a website. It's gate. Is it gatekeepers online? Yeah. Gatekeepersonline.com. And, uh, we've got podcasts, uh, articles, we've got, um, a couple of books out. We've got, uh, our last book, social injustice. That's that you can order right now. Uh, we also just put out an ebook called why I'm pro-life. And so it's an interesting kind of take mm-hmm. of diving mm-hmm. into like the behind the scenes, like what frames your mindset. And then we're yeah. also pre-ordering two books. We've got one, five, one that's five steps to kill a nation. And then the other one is church and state, which actually was just, uh, started pre-orders today. And uh, we, we, got, we got a bunch of really cool uh, authors like Dr. Michael Brown, Pastor Greg Locke, Michael Massey, like a bunch of really good, solid, uh, you know, Christian leaders to uh, contribute to it. So it's, it's pretty cool. Fun. All right. So, um, yeah, stay tuned after the little air smudge thingy to hear a trailer of my upcoming release, Uncaged. Much love, everybody. Catch you later. Losing my ego, body on the placebo. Little do we know, little do we know. It's an evolution, it's a revolution, a true intrusion about inclusion, of an illusion, of a sole solution, of a sole solution. Get Uncaged, July 14th on Apple Music and Spotify.